Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Is conflict at work always bad? Is there anything good that comes out of conflict? Today on Conflict Managed, David Little, founder and CEO of the TCM Group, argues it is time to move beyond simply addressing conflict and towards harnessing the vast potential managed conflict brings to organizations. He asks us to consider if our current HR practices and systems lead to restorative or retributive outcomes. David discusses the most important features of organizations, hybrid work environments, the causes of conflict, and the need for us to learn how to disagree well. In addition to being the founder and CEO of the TCM Group, David is the president of the Institute of Organizational Dynamics. He's the author of Managing Conflict, and his second book, Transformational Culture, was recently shortlisted as Business Book of the Year. David is currently working on a new text for The Economist entitled How to Disagree Well, and the second edition of Managing Conflict is due to be published in early 2023. Originating from Nottingham in the East Midlands, David has extensive experience of cultural transformation, conflict resolution, and leadership development. In the early 90s, David established and ran the Leicestershire Mediation Service for eight years, one of the first community mediation programs in the UK. In 2001, David established the TCM Group. His vision for TCM was, and still is, to help organizations to develop purpose-driven, values-based, and person-centered cultures. In 2021, David was recognized as one of the global top 20 HR most influential thinkers, and in 2022, he was invited to join the prestigious Thinkers 50 Radar. David has built a world-class team of consultants and a head office team who works with numerous household names to develop and integrate fair, just, inclusive, sustainable, and high-performing systems, cultures, and leadership practices. David has created the FAIR model, which is the benchmark mediation and investigations model in use in workplaces across the UK. David is a father of three beautiful children, and when he is not mediating or writing, he enjoys cycling and a spot of amateur dramatics. Good morning, David, and welcome to Conflict Managed. We're so happy to have you. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, Mary. I've been really looking forward to it, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, me too. For our listeners, uh, I've already mentioned in the intro uh, all of David's work, but um, maybe you don't know that I got into workplace conflict management because I read one of David's works, Managing Conflict, and I realized that that is what I wanted to do for the second part of my life. So thank you, David, for writing that book. Uh, you're welcome. It's, it's amazing to hear that positive impact that it's had, Mary. And uh, yeah, really, really pleased to be here and sharing our passion for constructive and collaborative systems for managing conflict. So thank you again. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Will you just tell us about your work history? Uh, of course. So I'll kind of give you a bit of a, a, an overview. So back in the late 1980s, which if I say it quickly, doesn't seem quite so scary. <laughs> Um, I was really interested in the area of, of racism. I'd experienced and seen racism and discrimination in certain aspects of, of my life. I'd kind of grown up in a fairly kind of white middle class area. 
but I hadn't seen racism. So I went away to study. So I did a degree in race relations back in the late 1980s. I was really interested to understand the nature of discrimination, how it happened, why it happened, the impact of discrimination, exclusion and racism, and more widely how public policy within the UK and also within the US was being shaped in terms of tackling racism and, uh, and, and managing some of these areas and quite challenging areas. So that was in 1989. So I did my degree in race and community relations. Um, I spent some time then as the president of the Students' Union after I completed my degree successfully, which was fantastic. Then I went to work in a, in a city in the UK uh, called Leicester, where I was responsible for um, economic and social regeneration programmes, and particularly involving black and um, uh, minority ethnic communities and other communities within those programmes, which was really interesting to me because these were often uh, communities which were excluded and weren't involved in public policy and social policy set, uh, setting. So I was actively trying to involve them. And I came up against high levels of, of, of poverty, of exclusion, and also of conflict within and across communities. And I, I looked at the responses, Mary, for managing conflict. This is in the early 1990s in inner city UK. I don't know if this is the same in the US. So certainly I, my, my sense is it probably was. And it was it was really poor. It was reactive, often very adversarial. Uh, very much driven by police looking at um, issues in terms of criminality rather than in terms of social justice, very little facility for brokering and creating means for resolving issues constructively through mediation and restorative justice. So I was really concerned and troubled by this. So I set up a small charity uh, looking at restorative practices and mediation in community disputes, gang disputes, um, cross-neighbour disputes, uh, and so on and so forth. I ran that for about six or seven years, grew really rapidly. And then I was invited to start taking some of these restorative principles into workplace settings. And this is a good, now fast forward into the sort of end of the 90s, the early noughties. So I went to did an MBA uh, to try and work out how companies and organisations work. Someone can explain it to me. That'd be great because my MBA didn't, but it gave me some really good <laughs> questions to try and work out how does how do, how do companies work. But what I did find in my MBA, and I was really interested in this, is that the traditional justice systems that we're using in our organisations to manage conflict, we're actually paradoxically often making conflict much worse. And I'm talking about systems which are retributive, about blame and shame and punishment. They were adversarial. They pitched people against each other, Mary. They they didn't create space for dialogue. They built walls. You know, they were they were building walls between people, and we were creating all of these functions in organisations as HR and unions and managers and others, who often it felt in conflict were pitting against each other rather than coming together. So I saw in true entrepreneurial spirit a gap in the market, if I can put it in such blunt terms, to bring a more restorative or transformative approach to dealing with this stuff. And really for the last 21 years, which I can't believe it's 21 years now, since I set TCM up, we've been going into companies and providing conflict resolution and mediation services. But much, much more than that now is saying, okay, what are the sources and the causes of this stuff in your organization, the cultural, systemic, structural, managerial, HR, procedural, all of that stuff. What's going on in your company that are causing disagreements and conflicts to run away out of control and how can we move or transform our reliance on retributive and adversarial justice systems, litigation, um, informal disciplinary and grievance procedures and the like? How can we reframe and rethink those 
So they bring people together and they build bridges, not not barriers. And that's a life's work for me. It's I love it. I'm passionate about it. We're getting some really interesting experiences of working with organizations now who share our vision and share our desire to do this stuff better and to be more purpose-driven, more values-based, more person-centric. In a shorthand, to make our workplaces more human and more humanizing. And that's 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 my my real passion. That's that's my career today. I'm sure there's lots of bits I've missed out over the <laughs> over that time, but that's uh brings us full up to where we are now. <laughs> right. I mean, not only is your your business 21 years old, you've written these two books, Managing Conflict and Transformational Culture, that go along with your vision. And one thing I love about your work, it's it's really um, when I read your first book, it resonated with me so deeply because it seemed like you were talking to me. You were talking to the everyday person and saying, this works and we should do it. This doesn't work. And these are the reasons why. And um, as a philosopher, I appreciate a good argument. And I feel like your books are very well reasoned. And you see it as you, you live out your mission through, through your organization. And that's always very nice to see. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you so much. And I was really, I, I really, when I was writing the book, I really felt like like us talking now. I wanted it to be a conversation with 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 someone um, to help them to understand that there were different, not necessarily better ways, but there are better ways. But just to open up people's hearts and their minds that there are different ways to do injustice. And of course, this this whole conversation around conflict resolution is is about justice and how we deliver justice. So how can we manage conflict effectively? How can we develop our leaders and managers? So I wanted to have that personal conversation. I didn't want to get into lots of complex jargon and, and, and management speak. And, you know, it's in there, you know, there's, there's, that, that, that exists. But I wanted to be able to have an honest conversation with another person about maybe a different, and dare I say it, better way of delivering just and fair outcomes for our people. So I'm very grateful for, for your, your feedback, uh, Mary. Thank you. Well, when you look over your own personal work history, what stands out to you as one of your best experiences and why was it so good for you? Well, I've had so many. I mean, I've really been so, so fortunate and blessed really with the amazing opportunities I've had. I think, you know, the TCM group uh, feels like it's had so many. In the 21 years, it's almost had 21 different versions of the organisation but running as a consistent theme through that from, from those very early days where, where it was just myself to, to where we are now, a global organisation, it's always been about the people, the colleagues, the team, the people that I'm working with. And those people I'm working with are the colleagues, but it's also the consultants, people you know, like yourself and, and others, Mary, who we work with, have a wonderful relationship, but also our customers. And it feels very much that I'm part of this amazing discourse and conversation with our colleagues, with our consultants and with our customers all sort of with the C. And I'm 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 there part of that learning from those experiences, but also probably contributing to that and bringing some vision and ideas and and thoughts to that experience. So singularly throughout the 21 years of the organization, the running thread that's made that such a powerful and positive experience is the people that I've been working with and been fortunate enough to be able to work with and I think that's continuing now we've you know we've gone from a period where predominantly the the people we were working with were mediators and restorative justice practitioners wonderful wonderful people who have a passion for helping others to resolve conflicts but now we're working with people who are really experts and folks around 
you know, culture change, systems development, organizational design, organizational development, human resources, and the people function. So I guess the it, in it no two days are the same, but the constant is working with these wonderful people, I think, is is how I'd describe that. So you've built a business for yourself where you get to work with people who are filled with passion and that you share their passion with, which is wonderful. I mean, it doesn't fit. Do you know, I, I think like like anyone who's in a role like, like like it doesn't feel like work. You know, it's hard work. You know, it's 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 tough and you have to have to, have to think hard and work hard to make stuff happen. But it doesn't feel like work when you're speaking with people who share the passion and the vision and the drive. It just feels like people coming together to to do things differently. And that that to me is it gives me enormous amount of energy and I take an awful lot of energy from that. So I'm very, you know, maybe selfish, but I hope I also put a lot of energy in it. And I think there is a symbiosis that exists when you share that passion and that vision and that energy. I've talked to quite a few people on this podcast and I hear about their best work experience. A lot of it is this camaraderie or a golden time when they're with like-minded individuals working together to further the the mission of the organization or whatever it is they're working on. Is that, does that resonate with you? Does that seem to be what it is for you? It does. I mean, it's interesting as you're saying that, because if you look at the COVID crisis and the kind of the, the lockdowns and this more remote way of working, I was very worried and actually could feel it quite powerfully as a stressor, a personal stressor for me, is I wasn't able to spend, to be with people, to have the time with people. You know, in England, we love a cup of tea, as you, as, as you know, so we love sitting down, we'll have a cup of tea and a chat. I love that. And then getting in a room and running a session, so we couldn't do that. Suddenly that switched off. And so I was very worried about that. And I was thinking, well, okay, well, how am I going to get the energy and the drive and the motivation that I get from being with people? But what I found, and as I think this, this podcast is a really great example of that, is actually the reach that we've seen through, through COVID and the ability to do this remotely and get to know far greater folks than perhaps we would have ever done in the UK, US and overseas um so we've met far more people so actually i would completely agree with what you're saying and i think it's actually over the last two three years has grown and developed and we've all had to find new ways of working with colleagues and other partners other stakeholders but actually it hasn't dampened or in any way diminished the ability to work with people through the system so no i absolutely agree with what you're saying and I sort of, on a side note, I wonder if our work experiences um, through COVID, obviously, as you said, has made us be more creative, um, look outside to see what is available to us, and we find there are all these riches. And so we think about like hybrid work environments. First, you know, working remotely as a necessity, given a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. And now we see it as this possibility of the hybrid work environment with wonderful possibilities if managed properly so that insofar as we want people-centered work environments and we want people to thrive and thriving people do good work and it's this you know nice virtuous circle uh, pushing beyond you know, before COVID thinking about how we're going to do the hybrid work environment is that even a good idea to now why is it not a good idea I think yeah. organizations have to really give the opposite like why would this not work? What is the real benefit of not having these remote options? No, absolutely. I think it's a really important point here. Because when I've gone out and spoken to leaders and others in organizations, I've often said to them, what's the most important feature of your organization? 
And what they've never said to me, Mary, is the contracts that I have or the systems and the process in our organisations. What they say to me is the most important feature of our organisation, the reason we're a successful business or a successful organisation or an entity of one form or another, is because of the relationships that we have, the people that we work with, the values that we have and our vision that we aspire to. So I think I completely agree with you, but I think at the heart of making hybrid work and to making this new world of work effective, we need to remind ourselves of what's really, really important. It's about our people. So how do we get the best from our people? It's about relationships. How do we build powerful, strong relationships in this new medium? It's about having a shared set of values and principles that bind us together. How do I, as a leader, help to create an environment which fosters that and that sense of common purpose and camaraderie, as you're rightly describing? And how do we then develop a sense of a vision and a a purpose that we can all aspire to? I think the challenge within hybrid isn't the technology or even the remoteness of the way that we're working. It's losing sight of the important fundamental principles of good business and good organisational effectiveness. People, relationships, values, purpose. And of course, we can't ignore our planet, our wonderful planet in there, of course, that we need to all be taking greater care of every single day. But that, to me, is at the heart of it. And so I I read articles about hybrid and I see people talking about it structurally and systemically and losing sight, perhaps, of what I think probably is really very important of those those elements I've just set out. That's why I think it's really exciting of whether or not to do hybrid. It has people articulating and being intentional. All right. So when people come into the workplace, what are they getting? How are these relationships growing? How are we connecting? what happens when people aren't physically present. And I very much am a latecomer to getting on board with anything that's not in person because we are embodied creatures. We are not, we are not just these little computers. We're not um, algorithms. We are people. And we think about communication and body language and information and all of that is very important. And insofar as we want these human centric workplaces, we have to realize it's, we're talking about the humans how do humans work together? And so whether or not to have remote has to do so much with the particular kind of industry, what those people are doing and what are they doing together that's valuable and how can we make it valuable when we're not physically together, right? So everything that you said about really thinking about those relationships, it's through those relationships that people flourish and creativity is allowed, you know, and when we think about the best parts of inclusion, all these different ideas from all these different people and belonging how do we make that a reality and so I love that our leaders are now being in a way forced to really articulate and intentionally make a plan so that their business and their people will thrive absolutely if you're kind of thinking about this in a kind of in a, in a context of conflict and, and conflict resolution so we know conflict occurs when my needs and goals aren't being met or achieved and I begin to then perceive that you're acting as a deliberate barrier to me achieving my goals on these or I can't express my values in a way which I believe to be as appropriate so these are antecedents or causal factors to, to a conflict and we know in mediation and conflict resolution terms if we draw in on the principles of you know principle negotiation non-violent communication some of these wonderful tools that we deploy as conflict management professionals we are looking at how do we express our interests and goals and ambitions and hopes in in a way that the other person can hear and I can articulate. How do we identify our underlying needs 
and our and our ambitions in a way that we can communicate those and work, then work mutually on those because there's there's convergence or commonality or an agreement between those. I think from a conflict management perspective and a mediation perspective, there's so much we can bring to this new normal around hybrid working because as we start to identify the underlying interests and those needs and identify areas of convergence and divergence and manage all those, it helps to bring us together. And sometimes when I'm working in an area of high conflict or my or, or colleagues are working in an area of high conflict, it's often because we haven't taken the time to truly understand what it means to be a human in the workplace and everything that goes with it. And this is why I think it's really interesting as conflict management prof professionals how much we have learned through our work of managing conflict to help organisations to develop those conversations and the culture and the climate to be able to handle this stuff more effectively and to, in essence, bring about that much more humanising environment, albeit it's remote in the way that we're working remotely now. That's right. So when we think about conflict and, and you think about your own work history, um, can you tell us about a time that you faced um, a difficult conflict and what was it? Why was it difficult for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, you're running, running an organization. I guess there, there are real pulls and pressures of being an entrepreneur, a CEO, or having running a startup, the financial challenges, you know, the, the, economic, the global economic uh, collapse of 2008, which really had long term repercussions running through to 2015. You're managing tough economic, financial uh, pressures and organisational pressures, coupled with the desire to be able to run a company and you know be a new form of company, which genuinely is driven by a sense of purpose and a sense of values. So, to, to an extent, on one level, which might be quite esoteric, but it's like the, the a clash between these two opposing factors of kind of capitalist need to be able to keep the like, capitalism really and the need to be able to generate capital to to create wealth to keep the business functioning and performing with the desire to be a new style startup company so to one extent that that presents itself as a persistent conflict and i have to persistently mediate that challenge between these factors and what i found really interesting uh recently i think mary is it used to feel that they were in opposition, those two forces of the entrepreneur vis-a-vis -vis this purpose-driven type organization, new model startups, so on and so forth. What I found more recently is the relationship between profit and the people and the culture and the organizational effectives, they all align. And actually profit isn't the dirty word. Being purpose-driven isn't some new idea. They can all work together. So on one level, there's this probably from a I don't know if it's philosophical, but from a bigger perspective, there's this 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 sort of wider conflict. And I think I've got some some experiences where that has manifested on a sort of more of a sort of tangible level. I think one of those actually is in relation to the integration of, of a sales function into an organization. So classic entrepreneur sets up a company needs to kind of grow. How do we grow? We're going to start to focus on sales and our, and our sales channels. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to point to sales manager and then a sales team to be able to do that. And then I create all of these other functions that work around it, administrative, marketing and, and other functions. And what I did, and I kind of slipped into it a little bit, this is probably going back some time now, but it's, it's a really useful reflection. I do reflect on it a lot. I created these silos within this small business of different functional silos of which sales was quite an important one because without sales you didn't have the business function so sales was the function you know that was probably the 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 one that had the greatest focus and was given the greatest attention 
And also the sales function were the one that generated a commission. So every sales generated a commission. And that was working okay. I thought it was working okay until I started to realize there were some negative uh, comments being made and just a negative perception. And one of them came along the lines of this, and I heard this a few times, is I spoke to the client when they rang in and my personal style and my knowledge and expertise was really important to the sales process. But because I'm an administrator, I'm not getting any permission. It's with the sales function. I started to see the sales function and it became more and more divisive as a function within the organization, really important function, but there was division. And also what I saw with the sales function is they needed consultants to be on calls because the consultants had subject matter expertise. So I pointed more and more consultants into the business to support these conversations. Anyway, long, long story short, Mary, it became quite challenging. So I needed to rethink how we did sales. And I saw there being conflict between these functions, but it was also beginning to manifest as, as individual conflicts on a, on a, on a basis which, which became problematic. In the end, the decision I made was to remove the sales function as a function of the business in a, in a silo sense and to look at it operating across the whole of the organization. So the way that we now work at the TCM group is everybody's responsible for sales. Everyone plays their part and we value and recognize each person's part through the sales process equally, recognizing that if you've picked up the phone and said a very positive, courteous, good morning to the customer and given a great impression of the TCM group, that is as important throughout that process as doing a granular detailed proposal in order to get the work. Because if you don't say good morning to that person, that's not going to be building that long relationship. So we re, we took a lot of learning from this and it was a pretty courageous step for me as someone who needed to see sales coming through to spread it across the organisation. And the challenge, one of the challenges I faced was sales was a bit of a dirty word when I'm an administrator or I'm a, another, well, I don't do sales. And actually we had to do some really good work about actually sales is not a dirty word. Sales is a really powerful way of helping another person meet their needs by us supporting them to do so. And actually, we drew heavily on what we did as mediators in conflict management terms. And I think really that opened up a most powerful door for us. But we had to go through lots of conversations, lots of support, lots of real reflection about what was important to us and how could we do it. And I think as a result of that, we rethought the entire sales process and customer journey in the organisation for the better. So I don't know if that's a good example or not, Mary, but that was a sort of, I remember those conversations, they were challenge conversations and not always easy, but the outcome I think was really, really good. I think that's fantastic for on a variety of points. One, money causes conflict, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and a lot of us don't like talking about money and money is private. And um, one of my children was asking again about, now, what do you and dad make? And, you know, and I was trying to think about, well, why, why do I feel this way? Why do I not want to give this information? And lately I found myself articulating, this is how much I'm making when I do this. This is how much I'm making when I do that. Because first of all, I want my children to know how much things cost. And I don't think it should be a secret. You know, why should this be a secret? I want people to be able to have these open conversations. And when we don't, when it's in our personal life and certainly in businesses, it can cause unnecessary conflict. And anytime we're trying to keep things a secret or uh, we might want to ask why. Now, certainly some people might be paid more than other in an organization for a variety of very legitimate reasons. And insofar as we articulate that, um, 
and people know some, you may not like it and that's okay. But having those lines of communication open, being able to have real conversations, even when it's hard. And even at the end, maybe not everyone will be satisfied, but being able to take it. That I think is a good sign that your organization cares about you because they can do difficult things. Talking about money is difficult. And another thing I want to pick up um, this idea of sales. I don't like sale and uh, being a salesperson, but I've changed my mind in the sense that I believe so much in what I'm doing. And but nobody's going to know about it. I'm not going to be able to help anybody or their organizations if they don't know about my services, what I can do, what I could do for them. And so me being a saleswoman, I see it as, um, and maybe this is too grandiose, as a gift. I want people to be better. I want to speak into their lives. I want to help facilitate their growth and getting out of toxic environments. But if I don't put myself out there, if they don't know about me or just this whole you know, sphere of conflict resolution and transformational culture, then how are they going to be able to avail themselves of the services and find the path towards um, a healthy work environment that's flourishing? So I think transforming sales, if you're squeamish about it, what is the mission? What is your mission? What are your values? And if you can have that crystal clear, I think you can be excited and sales turns into, this is amazing that I get to go out and you know wave this flag. Absolutely. So, so, and so people buy from people they trust, people they like, and people that they respect. So if you bring that expertise and that passion and that knowledge into the room, then that's going to build a really powerful relationship with you. We can think about that as a consultative sales process. But what I think is also interesting as a mediator, if we look at consultative-based sales processes, which is about needs, what's your, what do you need and how can we shape that need? If you look at the mediation process, you've got two parties who are in a very difficult position. Then they have chosen, with good reason or bad, to find themselves in this difficult position. And the mediator comes in and starts to ask really powerful questions about what their needs, motivations and goals are. And we start to try and help them identify that there might be other ways of relating and communicating with each other, maybe more listening, less talking, more positive engagement. So whatever those might be. But those needs are identified by the parties. And then the, the, the mediator helps to facilitate an environment for those two parties to come together and share those needs and find a mutually advantageous way of working. To me, and I'm not sure all mediators would agree with me, but knowing what I know about sales and knowing what I know about mediation as a consultative process based on these, there's so much overlap. There's so much we can learn and draw from the mediation process. I think as a company where mediation is very much the soul of the TCM group, although we do so much more than the mediator mediating, actually we draw so heavily from those principles and the practice of of the mediation process and that feeds in really powerfully into those sales conversations so it's interesting that you're you, you you've made that switch marry from from perhaps not feeling comfortable around sales to feeling more comfortable about that and i think that be interesting to explore maybe one day that relationship between conflict management mediation and sales but i see um, a really clear relationship between those and there's so much we can learn as salespeople from mediation and, and vice versa so yeah, that's some really, yeah, that's a, for me, it's a really interesting uh, piece of learning that I've taken away in helping me to run, I think, a more successful uh, business for all of us. So in your organization, since your bread and butter is dealing with conflict, how mm. do you deal with conflict in your organization? 
I try to deal with it as constructively as possible. I think it's really important to live and breathe those values, but we are all human beings as well. And that fight or flight response, you know, the powerful feelings that go with conflict, just because we're mediators and conflict management professionals doesn't mean that we uh, suddenly uh, have special dispensation not to have those psychological and physiological reactions. I guess what I would hope in myself and, and with others is we're more tuned into that and we're more skilled and have more strategies for overcoming that and recognising actually dialogue, collaboration, questions, being curious, being interested, are we recognise that these are signs of strength, not signs of weakness. So I would hope in TCO, certainly for my on my part, and I'm, I'm constantly learning and constantly developing and constantly recognising I can be better and better at this, but recognising actually by deploying those principles as quickly as possible when I see a challenging situation can be really, really powerful and having these, these conversations. So I think that's something that I hope all of us at TCM aspire to. And it doesn't mean we're a conflict-free zone. In fact, conflict-free zone would be a very negative place to work. Yeah. Conflict is powerful. It's a driver of innovation and creativity. It brings us together. It can really foster a strong sense of togetherness if we can, and belonging, if we can overcome those, those, those barriers that are created. So I suppose it's important to stress that whilst we are you know, managing conflict, we're not creating a conflict-free zone. We're just managing it a bit better than perhaps um, because of our, our skills and knowledge. I appreciate you said that because one thing that I want to do with my business is normalize conflict. Conflict is normal mm. yes. um, uh, and conflict is good. Unmanaged conflict is what we want to manage so that we yeah. can turn it for, for the good. Uh, I was just talking to Jonathan Rodriguez, who is uh, works for TCM Group in the Institute for Organizational Dynamics, and he tells of a story of um, a conflict that he was in with three other mediators, and, um, and they had this conflict, and um, he was talking, he was reflecting about it, like what could have, what did I learn, what could we have done differently, and this idea that just because you're a professional uh, in this conflict resolution space doesn't mean you're conflict free, because we're humans. Mm -hmm. Conflict doesn't go away, but all of us can learn the skills to recognize it. And as you said, to um, hopefully deal with it early, the sooner the better, so that yeah. things don't escalate, <clears throat> keeping lines of communication open. Um, but that's a part of being human. And if the goal in your organization or your life is to get rid of conflict, it's not a human goal. I would mm -hmm. say it's, it's not good. It's not possible. Uh, but it's certainly not healthy. It's how do we manage it? How do we deal with our feelings when we um, feel a conflict rising? How do we engage with others and ourselves and practicing that? So learning about conflict resolution is not something that you learn and then you put on the shelf, like you're done with it. It's a, it's a way of, it's a perspective. It's a way of being, it's a habit. Um, and Luckily, we get to yeah, we get to use that habit, just like patience. Uh, don't pray for patience or <laughs> you will be able to have many opportunities to develop that virtue. But the virtue of dealing with with conflict in a constructive win win restorative way is always available to us. And, and uh, we can do it. It doesn't take the sting out of it. I and mean, when I'm caught in conflict these days, I just recognize how much it hurts because before I would deny the hurt and shove it down. And I recognize it and I don't like it, but then I deal with it as best I can instead of running from it. It's great to, great to, to hear that, Mary. It's, it's really important. I think it's 
And what it also does, I think, as you're describing, is making me reflect as well. There's also a period post-conflict, as a kind of aftermath, where we can close it down or ignore it or deny it or, or, or move on to the next thing. Or we can opt to reflect and, and draw the learning and the insights from that. And I think one of the powerful things around mediation and how that's also informed me as a, as a leader and um, as a colleague is, is taking the time and the space to draw the learning and the insight from that. So it's not about avoiding the conflict, it's about helping to frame that in a more constructive and functional and supportive way, but also constantly evaluating and learning. And, you know, I know how busy everyone is. Do we have, do we have time for all of this stuff? But if we compare that time for those conversations and that, that learning and insights and wisdom that we can draw versus the amount of time people spend dealing with formal processes and responding to litigation and so on and so forth, that it's a it's it's minuscule the amount of time, but the impact is so, so great. So I love the idea of normalizing conflict. Conflict's not something to be afraid of or fearful of. Dysfunctional and harmful conflict is, but if it's managed effectively with courage and assertiveness a bit calm and empathy and compassion if we can handle it in those ways then actually suddenly it becomes a really powerful contributor to organizational success individual performance and team effectiveness and that's i guess what i think we share mary you and i have a passion for that as i know as i know so many do yeah i mean i don't i think we don't have time to not address it because if we don't address the conflict it festers um, it causes other sorts of problems. Certainly, I mean, we know businesses lose lots of money, but the personal effect, those tapes that we keep on playing in our heads from something that was said to us five years ago, 10 years ago, three weeks ago, and if we don't address it with the person or how we felt, maybe if it isn't appropriate to address it with a person, if we don't address it and deal with it, however long that takes, we're going to be feeling the negative consequences for our next interaction with the next person, you know, building up these, these armors that we put on. And that's a barrier to empathy when we are scarred and we haven't dealt with those in a, in a life-giving way to ourself, right? If you don't help yourself, how are you going to put the oxygen mask on the next person? But it has a diminishing effect. I mean, kind of on an individual basis, it has a diminishing effect on us as, as people, as, as, as individuals and on our relationships with others. But if we look at it and aggregate that across the society, whether it's the States or the UK or elsewhere, it's like it has a diminishing effect on our on our society. So there's a real sort of societal um, cause need here to address and take on board what you're saying, because I think, you know, as an individual, we don't want it to, to have that level of impact. But as a society, we need to be get get better at handling conflicts and disagreements they cannot become as polarizing and adversarial and damaging as they are this isn't okay it has an effect it's starting to and it's clear the effect it's having in, across across our world whether it's a uh, you know wars in europe or you know political or economic or other social factors and i think the the, the, the challenge we face i think as a society is how do we as a society begin to address and, and, and grapple with what you're saying here so we can disagree better we can take the adversity out of diversity we can listen and hear to each other where there's strong opposing views and that it's okay to be empathetic with another person doesn't mean you're agreeing with them it doesn't mean i'm taking your side but we can hear and we can listen and my worry is you know, thinking about conflict resolution and sort of organizational but in terms of wider societal societal terms is we really need to to relearn how we manage difference and disagreement because without that we run the risk of conflicts becoming individually diminishing and destructive 
but collectively so too. And I think, you know, the, the, the world needs right now people out there who can help shine a light on there are better and more constructive ways of disagreeing without it needing to become as destructive and harmful as perhaps we see in our news feeds or from our from our Amazon Alexas and newspapers or wherever we get our information from, the social media, of course. Um, and that's probably something I think is a real call to you know, bring out the mediators and, and start having these really powerful conversations about conflict and how we can handle it better, which is why your podcast is so amazing, Mary. Thank you. One thing I'm so um, excited about working in um, conflict in workplaces, David, is because this is one of the last places where you have to get along, right? If you don't get along, eventually you're going to be fired or the business goes out. Yeah. So we are in a place, doesn't matter what your politics are, what your social issues are or are not, where we have to get along. And so if we can teach people in this environment how to disagree well, how to deal with differences, how to really, um, as you said, take adversity out of diversity. I love that. And to really be inclusive. And we practice that. That can have a spillover effect into their homes and into when they go into the community. And so I feel like um, the business environment is like this last bastion of uh, civility, where you have to have civility for it to work or your customers are not going to be there. So you have these people, all of us who are working, we need to work together for our sake and the sake of the organization. And if we take that seriously and we really help people, it can have a spillover effect. And I don't know if that's me being naive. I don't think so. I think it really, it really can help individuals and communities in addition to their businesses. Absolutely. I, I think, and I don't think it's, it's, it's a, it's a long way from naive Mary. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's an absolute truism. It's a fact. And I think one of the things that, really excites me you know if I'm working with neighbors in a dispute in a community or a dispute or working with offenders or obviously the last 20 years working in you know tackling bullying and conflict and workplace issues is when we give these two or more disputing parties agency i.e empower them to make decisions that affect their lives where we create a, a safe space for them to talk about what's really going on for them when talking emotions the f word of work feeling and then when we help them to articulate their needs and goals, what they can they can move mountains because what they start to say is, well, what I need from you is this, and what I need from you is this. So they have this conversation. But what they also do is they say, well, actually, the organisation could function better if we change this system or tighten that process up or met the customer need in a more interesting or a more creative way. So the the tension and the difference doesn't just open up an opportunity for the two parties to come together and find a solution which is mutually acceptable. In that space, it's like it's like breaking an atom, unlocking this massive amount of energy. They start to identify creative and innovative solutions around customer experience, user experience, innovation around product development, research and development. And to an extent, one of the most powerful ways of driving systemic structural change within an organization is to unlock the potent energy that exists within disagreement. So we can get a lot of people to agree in a room, lots of yes people in a room. There's not going to be any innovation comes from there. That's going to be the status quo. You, right. We're not going to drive a successful business based on the status quo. We're going to create competitive advantage by beating our customers by being innovative and creative. And I think that the smart investors, the smart customers, the smart, the top talent and the best leaders, if I could put it that way as well, recognize this. And they harness an, 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 an environment 
which doesn't diminish people or conflicts, but it multiplies the, and optimizes the impact and the benefit of it. So no longer is conflict resolution a moral or ethical feature of a purpose-driven, human-centered workplace. This is now tough business about creating creative, creating an environment which, which optimizes conflict to, to drive innovation and creativity. And innovation and creativity are the currency of future success of for, for, for organizations. So I would go as far as to say as conflict resolution should be at the top of the inbox of every leader. And the effective leaders right now have it at the top of their inbox and they're doing what we're talking about. And I'd look forward to hearing from them and sharing their experiences. And um, yeah, and that's something I'm working on the second edition of Managing Conflict at the moment, Mary, as, as, as you know. So these are the stories I want to tell of organizations who are absolutely maximizing and optimizing so it's no just it's not just about managing it anymore it's about creating and sustaining the true positive impact of 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 difference and disagreement and diversity i love that i mean it's reframing conflict conflict is negative and to to hide from versus let's look at it let's bring it out and aren't we glad that we have not just yes men or yes women that we have um, people who are willing to invest and be here and we could do hard things together and that's how you make progress. So David, as we leave our time together, when you think about the future of work, the work environment, and you've got small children and as they go out, maybe not so small anymore, as they go out into the workforce in, you know, five, 10 years, uh, what is it, what would, what do you want for them as they go into the work environment? What is your vision for the future? Yeah, I think I'd like to think that they're working in a in an environment where the firstly is some of the toxic systems and processes, in particular the ones that I, I see the most toxic and divisive in organizations, the grievance procedures, disciplinary procedures, performance management system. You know, we get we, we, we go into our workplaces and we're offered up this wonderful environment and told so many wonderful things, but actually when when things go wrong, we're we're dragged through these horrible processes and they're very formal and retributive and adversarial. So the first thing I'd, I'd, I'd hope for them is they're working in an environment where the, the systems and the processes of the organisation are a core feature of the employee value proposition. The employee value proposition isn't just a nice job description, a recruitment consultant selling the opportunity. You know, someone in the organisation has got some nice fancy posters and websites, but actually the reality of it is it is the same old, same old. So the employee value proposition to me or the employee journey or the employee experience goes by different names, but that employee experience is, is being thought about within the whole of the organization from the minute the job is designed right the way through all of the career development opportunities. And that then calls on the HR function or the people function to take on a new role within that employee experience or that EVP, the employee value proposition, and thinking about how do we design the jobs of the future? What do they look like? How do we get the best out of our people? How can we support our managers to unlock the brilliance of of my children and others' children? How do we do that? How do we manage conflict effectively? How are the systems and processes and, if you like, the rules-based system in the workplace aligning to these principles and the values that we're uh, enshrining in the way that we're uh, running our organizations you know, how do we handle problems how we drive performance um you know how do we work flexibly you know the future of work is is, is so flexible it's agile how do we demonstrate that so i i would I, I the challenge to me you know it doesn't feel long my kids have grown up and growing up so 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 quickly but it feels like organizations 
got a vice-like grip on the status quo. And actually, they do stuff around the edges and they put out nice messages on LinkedIn and elsewhere about their onboarding process and their values and their purpose. But actually, the, when, we, when there's a rub, when your face doesn't fit anymore or you're not performing to the standard or you disagree with your boss or you fall out with a colleague or you want to go out and strike, whatever, da, da, da. when there's a push point or a pinch point or a challenge point, we just roll out the same old broken, tired, dreary, corrosive adversarial systems. So my genuine hope is we can accelerate the speed by which we're looking at those systems within this wider rules-based framework and within this wider employee value proposition. And that's the kind of company I would want my my kids to work for, where they're valued and nurtured and supported, where they can work hard um, and be part of an amazing organisation that really truly... It doesn't matter what they're doing. I don't mind what they're doing, as long as they're in that kind of environment which nurtures them and releases their inner brilliance, because they're brilliant. We're, we're all brilliant. Let's go, and re- let's go and spend more time releasing people's inner brilliance than tying them up in red tape and bureaucracy and complexity. Oh, that's great. David, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of the the podcast. It's been a great conversation and as uh, yeah, really very grateful. So thank you very much. Thanks, David. Have a good day. You too. Thank you, Mary. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Conflict Managed and thank you to David for your time. If you have any questions for Conflict Managed, any of our guests, or if there's someone you would like to see interviewed, or if you have any questions, please reach out to us. You can find us at 3, that's the number 3P, conflictrestoration at gmail.com. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Our music is courtesy of the wonderful Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, bye-bye.